Welcome to the 82nd episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest, EMT and firefighter, Kyle Kondoff. Kyle, I hope I didn't botch your last name. (laughs) If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. And we could all use a good story right now. (laughs) I had the pleasure of connecting with Kyle on social media. And like many of my past guests, he shoots it to you straight. And even though I was a little squirmish when he talked about a current trial he's participating in, I was excited to learn more about the advancements in CGM technology. Very informative. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. This episode was brought to you by Real Good Foods. If you haven't heard, their new superfood pizza crust is unlike other low-carb keto pizzas. Instead of using cauliflower, they created a completely new kind of low-carb crust made with avocados, almonds, broccoli, and kale. It's gluten-free and doesn't contain any processed carbs. Thank you for that. The superfood crusts are packed with tons of vitamins and nutrients, which is exactly what we need right now. And also help manage blood pressure, control blood sugar, and boost digestive health. Plus, the crust leaves you feeling full and satisfied. Woohoo, real good foods. Thank you for thinking of the diet peeps. Number two, I want you to know I'm doing my best to release as many podcasts as, po- as possible. If there is someone you would like me to interview, please shoot me an email to amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Number three, As many of us are taking this quarantine seriously, we are ordering away on Amazon. I just ask that you please take a moment to click on the Amazon banner on the right side of the Diabetes Daily Grind website before ordering. Your purchase throws a little change my way, and it doesn't cost you a thing. And I promise, I have no idea what you're ordering. (laughs) So have fun. Number four, don't forget, we're always looking for solid partnerships and advertisers as I'm putting out much more content And don't foresee slowing down anytime soon. (laughs) If anything, we're revving it up. If you would like to learn more and have a creative idea, please contact the DDG marketing team at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. She's got all the details. And finally, don't forget to love, like, share, and comment on all the DDG social media platforms. And as I always say, you could make my day by leaving an iTunes review. A good review lifts my spirits and lets me know you're listening. All right, everybody. I think that's it. Let's, uh, let's get started. Hey, this is what life with diabetes is all about. Yeah. Does it sound good or do I need headphones? Nope. You, you sound great. Okay. Um, so I want to start with saying that we connected on Facebook and I, how long ago was that? A couple months, right? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't even know. <laughs> but I, I've always enjoyed, um, your level of positivity and the stories that you share and um, especially during this time. Um, so I want to start with Kyle, where are you calling in from? Uh, San Antonio, Texas, my house quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to say for the listeners, I was supposed to be on the road right now and heading to interview three people in person. Kyle was one of the people that I was hoping to set up for that. So unfortunately we are both quarantined to our homes, but <laughs> We're here, and hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. So, Kyle, let's get started with, tell us, um, tell me a little bit about your diagnosis story. So, uh, I'm a uh, type 1 diabetic that was diagnosed January 10th, 2016. Um, It's actually my mother-in-law's birthday, and so I'll never forget it, but... (laughs) um, Most likely, I had diabetes back in 2014. Uh, I'm a uh, firefighter, and I was working uh, offshore on an oil rig in uh, the middle of uh, the Gulf of Mexico in Louisiana, uh, off of Louisiana coast. And I um, had very few cases, but I still had blurry vision, uh, frequent thirst, and frequent urination. So looking back, of course, I had symptoms. I uh, just didn't realize it. <laughs> right. Even as a uh, EMT, uh, didn't even realize it. And uh, it was along those lines of uh, all that time that I had diabetes, but didn't realize it that I 
just kept on experiencing those symptoms and kept on turning it off and saying, you know, it was other things. Well, the problem is, um, well, of course, my phone's going to vibrate, so <laughs> I need to move it somewhere else. Um, I, uh, I had... Um, I had those symptoms, but other people were experiencing somewhat like symptoms, um, uh, more similar symptoms, excuse me. And, uh, so on the oil rig, we, uh, we went down, um, into the columns of the oil rigs. It's one of the floating oil rigs. And so you see the big columns and we went down inside those, uh, on the inner area and watched the guys work. Uh, we did, we did the rescue. So we just, uh, we're there for standby. Okay. Uh, in that area, we did not have uh, toilets, <laughs> and we did not have capabilities to uh, get supplies. So we had to bring down everything with us, and so we uh, had to take everything in the morning or uh, after lunch, whatever we wanted. And everybody else was taking snacks. They were taking drinks. They were taking whatever. Well, I was taking a trash bag of just beverages myself. And mind you, I did not know I was diabetic at the time. And I would have Gatorade and I would have soda and I would have water and I would take a combination of everything. We didn't have Gatorade Zero back then. So I was drinking very sugary drinks. And also we were on the oil rig and they tried to make the cheapest food, the best food, whatever. It was Louisiana. So we had fried food. We had uh, rice, we had Cajun, everything was just horrible for us. And all these snacks that I'm talking about is chips, is uh, bread sandwiches, is, you know, uh, granola bars or uh, cookies or, you so know. Like the worst combination. I don't even touch anymore. Right. Um, so I had all this food and I was experiencing symptoms. So. People talked about how I would, um, because we didn't have the bathroom down there, we'd have to figure it out, or eventually they got us something. I won't get into all the details. But they would talk about how my uh, bags or bottles were a little more full than everybody else's. Um, I would actually actually have to use more than one water bottle at a time uh, just because I was going to the bathroom so much. Wow. And just nobody thought of anything uh, just because we weren't that knowledgeable in it. Um, and, uh, and I, of course, I was drinking all those drinks. Nobody would say anything. But the other thing that would happen is because I would have all the carbs, because I would, you know, my blood sugar would be so high, I'd go to sleep down there. Mind oh. you, if emergency happened, you know, I'd be up, ready to go. But I got in trouble a couple of times. And a lot of guys thought I was lazy. Um, <laughs> and since then, I've tried to repair some some relationships because I had some irritability. I had tiredness. Oh, yeah. I had all this. So I, did, I wasn't so friendly out there on the oil rig at times. Um, and it's unfortunate because it affected my life in, in a lot of ways uh, that I didn't realize. And like I said, it was 2016 whenever I was officially diagnosed. So it was, um, it was a year and a half uh, to almost two years wow. that, uh, that all this stuff was happening. The whole reason why I was diagnosed was because I worked in a hospital and at times I had blurry vision. As I said, uh, my wife and I were planning for our wedding and I think it was December, but uh, I, I said something one time and I said, wow, that Michael sign up there is blurry. I mentioned that I needed to go to the eye doctor and she has really bad vision. So she said, oh, wow, there's a Michael sign up there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought at the time I was like, well, I guess my vision's okay. Um, so, so I never went to the eye doctor. So we were out shopping, uh, at some flea markets, uh, for some wedding venue stuff. We had a rustic wedding and I said, you know, something, something's going on. I'm having some blurry vision. I've had it, you know, since yesterday. Well, one of the nurses that day at the hospital that I worked at said, you might be diabetic. And I was like, what? You know, I didn't know too much about type 1 diabetes. Right. The only thing I knew is my aunt was diagnosed in 2004. And unfortunately, she hadn't taken care of herself very well. So I just knew the bad side of type right. 1. Right. Um, so I thought, you know, being 27 years old, uh, 160 pounds, I'm like, how am I going to be a type 2 diabetic? You know, there's no right. way. So. I never thought type one because it was again, juvenile diabetes. Right. Um, so I was thinking she's crazy. How can she say? And she's like, no, anybody can be diagnosed. You're crazy to think that you can't be. So that was on Friday, Saturday, we were going out and we were shopping and, uh, it was that night, uh, after I had talked to her for a while, uh, thinking about it throughout the day with my wife, I said, well, my fiance at the time, but thinking about it, I said, 
you know, I'm going to go buy a meter. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to check myself because I know that I, I can at least do that. Yeah. So I went to our local store here, HB, and uh, come to find out they don't like to sell meters that aren't uh, over the counter. Um, so, so I went to uh, CVS because the pharmacy had already closed and I didn't have a prescription. Luckily, CVS had one. I grabbed one of the cheap ones, whatever it was. I went out to the truck and I checked myself and I believe the first reading, I, I always say it was either 392, 394, or 396. I knew it was a, a <laughs> um, an even number, but it was one of those three. So I say 394. So it was 394. So I called a nurse friend of mine, a different nurse, and I said, look, this is what happened. I was over at my parents. We had Sonic to go, you know, maybe <laughs> it's the food, whatever. And looking back, thinking how stupid that is because a regular non-diabetic won't have a blood sugar over 200, right. much less over 180 for an extended period of time. The insulin will already start working in the body. Right. Um, so she said, wait 30 minutes. She didn't know too much about it either. Um, it's just, it's not knowledgeable. And and that's why nowadays I do my best every single day to try to encourage people to understand things. Yeah. But she said, wait 30 minutes. So I waited 30 minutes to an hour. So I waited 30 minutes. I checked. It was 4.02. I looked at my fiance and I said, eh, I think we need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and mind you, basically, I already knew at that point I was diabetic. I'm diagnosing myself. Right. I went to the hospital and they said, Oh yeah, anybody can get it in any age, type two, whatever. They gave me two liters of fluid, saline. Mind you, I don't know if it was regular fluid. I don't know if it was dextrose. I don't know what they gave me. Excuse me. But that was all they did. They started an IV and just said, okay, go home. Here's some metformin. Here's a prescription for metformin and follow up with PCP. Like, wait, what? What just happened? Right. I walked out of the hospital an hour later and I'm like, what just happened? So I follow up with my PCP. I was at the hospital Saturday night and I saw the doctor on Tuesday. Well, unfortunately, my doctor was on vacation, so I couldn't even see my doctor. I had to see his colleague. And he said, oh, yeah, once again, same thing. Anybody can be diagnosed at any age, type 2 diabetes. Don't have to be big. Don't have to be this, whatever. You know, all the stigmas of it. And he's right. But... They still didn't do a C-peptide. They right. still didn't do a T3-free. They still didn't do the test that you need to know whether or not I was producing any insulin. And they didn't get me started early on enough to figure out. So I was told, see a diabetes educator, take this metformin, and just watch my blood sugar. Maybe eventually I might have to go on insulin. And so I was still concerned, of course, but I knew that I could do it. Did the, met um, did the metformin make you feel better? So that's the thing. So it took three weeks for me, and, and he said, track your blood sugar. Right. It took three weeks for me to figure out that something's wrong. And so I saw my doctor. Luckily, he was back from vacation. I was able to see him. I, I saw him, and I said, look, all my blood sugars are in the high 200s to 300s. Still, nothing is working. This metformin sucks, basically. It's what right. I told him. You know. And he took one look at me, and he said, Kyle, you're a type one diabetic. There's no way that you're type two. I can run some tests, but we can figure this out real quick. And sure enough, of course, you know, uh, ever since then I've been on the magical drug called insulin. Um, <laughs> no longer on metformin. Didn't have to worry about that anymore. Okay, let, me, doing it let, me, for me. let me ask you this. Whenever they yeah. officially diagnosed you with type one, were you relieved or were you frustrated? I was nervous. I was scared and I didn't know anything about it. So what did I do? Because I'm that person. And honestly, my wife told me now, like, you're, you're a weird person, <laughs> but I always think everybody does it. I went home and researched the crap out of it. Well, yeah. uh, so, so I didn't, didn't know any better, uh, to be honest. And like I said, my only perception of it was my aunt right. who was a type one diabetic now for 12 years, but had been hospitalized for DKA probably close to 20 times wow. um, and just uh, and now I know unfortunately didn't take care of herself all the time it wasn't so much the disease it was just her control yeah um, and, and I see that so much these days and it's frustrating to see because people just don't think that they have an out and there's there's ways that we can cope with it but um, but at the time I didn't know too much about it so 
I was concerned about my job. I was concerned about my life. And this was January and I was getting married in May. And the next day, the first thing I did, well, whenever I had been diagnosed as a type one, the first thing I did was text my uh, bachelor party guys and say, hey, look, we got to kind of adjust some things. I'm a type one diabetic now. I'm on <laughs> insulin, you know, whatever. And uh, I, I, we still went to the buffets. I still ate like crap. But at the same time, we had fun. Uh, getting back to the metformin though, and I, I do say this because I know you said that we can we can do this, but I called it shit formin, yeah. um, and they called it shit formin at the hospital, and that's because what does it make you do? It makes you go to the bathroom so much, and it's ridiculous. Um, so that was doing nothing for me but making my bowels feel horrible all day long, and well, and dehydrating uh, you too, I'm sure. And absolutely dehydrating me and I wasn't drinking enough and that's the other thing too at the hospital whenever I started working at the hospital I didn't even realize it but shortly afterwards whenever my blood sugar started leveling out I would want to leave the room if I was sitting with a person being a a, a sitter with them all day or um, whenever I was working uh, walking around with patients I would always want to go find something to drink and I would always have to go to the bathroom as soon as I started getting on insulin, as soon as I as soon as I started regulating my blood sugar a little bit better than what it was on metformin or with nothing, then all that kind of stuff went away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so all my symptoms went away. Then I saw a doctor, and mind you, I was 27 years old, and uh, I had perfect vision. And unfortunately, diabetes ruined my vision. Um, I, I have since gotten my vision a little bit better because I'm low carb and my vision has improved because you can reverse complications by doing right. that. But I'll always need some type of a corrective lens. Um, and and at the time, I didn't have anything. So I had to go to an eye doctor and I had to see him. Uh, when I was first diagnosed, my A1C was 9.4. Um, and then it, uh, oh, mind you, that was three weeks on metformin and then switching over to insulin, it was, I think, 7.4. So I lowered it two points just automatically yeah, from diagnosis from not having anything. Um, and, uh, and and then I started going down into the fives and, and had crazy ups and downs, but eventually <laughs> got on CGM. So, I mean, it, it's a long one, but most of us do. We have a long diagnosis story, and unfortunately, we experience symptoms for months to years before yeah. we even realize something is wrong, but... You know, that's just, it's kind of the way my life went at the time. Well, and I want to talk about CGMs here in a a little bit later, but I I want to, okay, so you get married, you've made it through this ridiculous time. And luckily my insurance changed, so I was able to move everything up. So I I mean, I was was a healthy 26-year-old whenever I signed up, so I signed up for the cheapest plan I possibly could, and everything was ridiculous. I had a $3,500 deductible starting off. So I was not meeting anything, and I had to pay for all this expensive insulin. So luckily, I got married four months later, and I was able to change everything. Well, that's a blessing on so many levels. So how, and I know you said you feared for your job and things like that. And, you know, I did a video of my original diagnosis story when I was eight. And, you know, being told and all the things that I couldn't do or, or, you know, I couldn't be. And um, the restrictions there because of the disease. And so I'm sure at my when I was young, at being an EMT or a firefighter would not have been an option. So was your job jeopardized at all by the diagnosis? I thought it was, but in fact it was not. Uh, the reason why it was not was because at the time when I did talk to my chief, it wasn't right after diagnosis. Um, I, I had talked to him after I had gone low carb, after they had seen my success, and after I literally blew up my social media with diabetes. <laughs> um, but uh, but I had talked about it with everybody just because I was so in tune with it, and it was my life. And right. Maybe they were tired of me talking about it, but I don't care. I, I got to go through this 24-7. Um, <laughs> But whenever I finally did, you know, I had been a volunteer firefighter at the time, and uh, I finally got a career at some point later on. But I talked to him, and I said, I mean, I was worried about it. I was I was in the oil field, and I was just kind of putting along in that job because I knew that they could work with me, and I was able – I mean, I'd be gone for a week to two weeks at a time um, as an oil field firefighter. And mm-hmm. so I just made sure to take enough food with me and enough supplies. But – they weren't so worried about my diabetes. They weren't worried about me responding. They weren't worried about that because it wasn't so much a structural firefighter where we're running into a building and, you know, I could collapse at any time, whether it be from smoke inhalation or be from a low blood sugar. Right. Um, and 
and not be able to do anything about it. But, um, but uh, I, I was able to um, to talk to him, and once I did, he said, "We know that you're secure enough that you know you can do the job and take care of yourself." But unfortunately, and, and I've since learned that he changed around his life. I had only experienced with one other firefighter, and I hadn't actually met him, but I'd heard stories about him. But a firefighter in a, a local fire department. Uh, here in the San Antonio area, South Texas area, that uh, was a type 1 diabetic, and he hadn't taken care of himself that much either. Um, so it had a stigma, I yeah. thought, with certain departments, and it wasn't good. Um, I didn't know anything about the Americans with Disabilities Act. I didn't know, you know, that, <laughs> that they can't ask those kinds of questions, yeah. uh, a job interview, <clears throat> anything like that. So whenever I'd go on a job interview, I'd be open about it. Um, and in fact, I I was open whenever I talked to the uh, chief and uh, interview panel with uh, Victoria Fire Department, and I uh, luckily got approved to be on a job with them. Unfortunately, for for another work related injury, I didn't get to start with them. I was four days away, and I fractured my leg, ankle, and foot in seven Ooh. places because of a a training <laughs> a training injury. Um, but I I was I was hired with them. Uh, even though they knew that I was a type one diabetic, uh, they, they said, you know, the only thing we really need is a copy from your doctor that says you're good. Um, so once I got that, I was, I was okay. Um, well, isn't it, it's, isn't it frustrating too, though, that you, I mean, the department, and I'm not saying that negatively to this group at all, but I mean, the stereotypical, like you have one person with living with type one that did not manage their disease. And then everybody thinks that's how. It all is like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's unfair yes. to you. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and it's unfair to, honestly, the whole diabetes population, not so much because of that person, but because of things that we see on social media and, oh. the, and the stigma of diabetes in general. I mean, number one, the stigma of diabetes is that we're all fat and we did it to ourselves and everything. Um, my, my point, whenever somebody thinks that and somebody says that and, and I post it on social media, especially, honestly, National Diabetes Awareness Month, everybody's tired of seeing it, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you have a 60-year-old person who is 450 pounds and they did it to themselves. Well, what did the 18-month-old baby do? Themselves? Yeah. You know, and, and so it's it's a stigma um, that needs to go away. And there's all kinds of types of diabetes yeah. that are happening now. Type 3, uh, type 3C, um, pancreatic removal, uh, pancreatic cancer, all kinds of things that are happening. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because there's more and more diagnosis. It's not just type 1, type 2, and gestational. But that's the main three that everybody knew about, and obviously gestational being just a period of right. diabetes. Um, but, uh, but no matter what, there's no cure for any kind of type of di- diabetes. And I want to put that out there because so many people think that they got rid of their type two, but it's really just controlled with diet and exercise. Uh, and however, I think that the term, maybe, maybe, maybe medicine, but whenever you get off the medicine, everybody thinks you're cured. Well, and I think that the, in the stick, I mean, obviously we're never going to be in that position. And so I have spoken to a number of physicians and endos and whatnot, and the word rem- diabetes remission versus yes curing your diabetes and you know i think it's pretty 50 50 and when it comes to that i mean i i don't know i would see it more as remission but i guess if you've completely changed your inner body because of the lifestyle choices and changes then i don't know yeah my my only thing with that is i like remission um, because a cure says that you're never going to get it again. Right. And it gives somebody a false sense of security yeah. in a way that they can go back to eating the chocolate cake and <laughs> um, all the all the potato chips and become a couch potato and whatever else, and you think that you're just not going to have it uh, happen. I mean, I've had family members, I've had friends that, you know, unfortunately they've gone back to their old ways right. and they get their type 2 again. They say, I'm a diabetic again. Well, no, not really. It's just, it's not remission anymore. I mean, it's like you're a cancer survivor. You're always a cancer survivor, but you have a, a chance of getting that cancer again. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. Okay. Um, let, let me ask you a controversial question. And if you don't want to yeah. answer it, that's okay. So, um, in a lot of events that I participate in, you hear, especially when they're telling children, um, that they can eat anything they want. They just have to take care of, you know, just bolus for it or whatever. What are your thoughts on eating anything we want? Oh, 
Oh gosh, that's such a hard question to answer because it's specific to everyone. But as far as the medical community, I hate that they give that answer because what we do to our bodies over time, and it's the same thing as somebody saying, well, I'm not diabetic. I can eat whatever the hell I want. Well, I'm sorry, but you can't because what are you doing to your body? Over time, you're building insulin resistance. You're making your body produce more insulin by eating all these carbs, by eating this crap, this garbage, uh, <laughs> that you don't produce the insulin that you need and your body doesn't use the insulin that you need, over time you're going to have to produce more insulin and you become insulin resistant and then you become a type 2 diabetic and you have to take metformin for your body to use it and if you continue, then you'd have to inject insulin. Well, and I'm just talking about the, the type 1 community and I've said this right, on a couple right. of podcasts like, I choose low carb, not because of yeah. diabetes, because I put two and two together that I didn't feel good yes. when I, you know, ate a ton of carbs. And so I think maybe the message should be shifted to, yes, you can eat whatever you want, but I want you to think about how you feel after the fact, you know, right. but you're not, you're not going to die if you keep on eating this stuff and then, you know, you inject with insulin. But even as a type one diabetic, we can build insulin resistance. And the problem with that is we're injecting insulin. So becoming insulin resistant as a type one diabetic means that we're going to have to inject more insulin. Right. And I mean, (laughs) what's that? I said, that's not cheap. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I follow a, a, a low carb, high protein, uh, lifestyle by, uh, from, a guy named Dr. Richard Bernstein. And his suggestion is that no more than seven units in one area should we give an injection because we build up insulin resistance over time. So especially whenever you're talking about pumps, are you talking about 50 to 300 units every three days? And let's be realistic, not everybody changes their site every three days. Right. So you're talking even more insulin. So you're building up insulin resistance just because of that. So you build onto it with more carbs which means more insulin, which means more insulin, which means a chance of more insulin resistance. So not only are you giving insulin, but you're giving more insulin and you might even be put on the SLG2 inhibitors. You might be put on metformin, you might be, or glucophage, you might be put on other stuff and you got more and more medication, which means more and more money. I mean, to me, less insulin means less money, means less risk of complications in the future, means a whole bunch of other things. And so that's why I follow it. And and it helps with my lifestyle, um, no matter what. But no matter what, it helps with my job, too, because I don't worry about my diabetes as much. Oh. And yeah. that, to me, is a huge stress reliever. Um, my Eversense is actually beeping right now because it says I'm 70. My low alarm is set at that. So you better <laughs> I don't know if you start. can hear my mom, but <laughs> I'm, I'm good because I need to change it to 65. Um <laughs> Where do you, okay, what's, I, your, what's your range? I ate some, I ate some peanut butter and, and uh, some protein to make sure I'd stay good. So <laughs> this is my normal. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable sitting at 70 for a long time. Um, wow. But so so that causes, I mean, not only that, but you're eating more food because you're spiking uh, more. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you might give insulin and you might go lower. So what are you going to do? You're going to eat the whole kitchen. So <laughs> no matter what, you're talking about more money. And especially right now when everybody's freaking out about their jobs and security and the stock market's crashing, um, everybody's worried about money. We're talking about even more money spent, and that's a problem because I'm not going to count how many days of food I have, but I could probably sit here in my house for about two months with the amount of food I have because I eat two meals a day because I'm just not that hungry because the protein fills me up and I don't need carbs to sustain my body. So for me, it works and it doesn't work for everyone. And I understand that I've worked with a lot of people. Uh, I, I, I do some coaching. I guess you could say I put that in quotes, but, uh, I try to work with people the best I can. And some people just doesn't work and their body doesn't want to do it. I mean, ketogenic lifestyle is not for everybody, but no matter what, Maintaining stable blood sugars is the best thing. Whether you do that with a whole bunch of carbs and you eat whole food plant-based, which I've seen some people do, and it's crazy to me. It is crazy to me, too. It's, it, but I've witnessed it. I've watched I mean, it's insane. I mean, I, I was on a panel with uh, Matt Silvio um, here at uh, Type 1 Austin a few weeks ago. Uh, before all this craziness happened, we were able to have a get-together, and he told me he eats between – 
300 to 600 grams of carbs a day. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't even eat that in a month. Like, yeah, are you yeah. kidding me? And and his and his blood sugar stable, and he makes that work for him. But there's certain things that work for certain people. Um, and so I found what works for me. And following Dr. Richard Bernstein, as I said before, reversing complication, he's a reverse thousands of people's complications just in being able to do this. Well, I think this um, is, what again, one of those things that we're all diagnosed with the same disease, but our management and how our body reacts to things are absolutely, completely different. I mean... Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, going back to what I said about a pump, I mean, it's also a personal preference, but it depends on the way we want to manage our diabetes. It depends on how... Um, uh, meaning to say this in a nice way, but how lazy we are with our management sure. and then also how expensive or how convenient we want to make our diabetes because whether you be on a pump or you do shots um, and now there's capabilities of doing, um, you know, using the pump technology on a smart insulin pen, yeah. but you have, uh, you have the capabilities to do whatever nowadays because the technology has come out. And you have the capabilities to be able to see your blood sugar every five minutes. Well, let's hopefully let's talk about rate. that too. What? Um, so yeah. you are a part of a trial right now, correct? Yes. Let's talk about what gear you're on, and if you can speak to the trial. Um, yeah, share what, what Honestly, you got going on. I've, I've told people in the trial, and uh, ever since actually uh, tagged me in a post today on Instagram. So I say, hey, <laughs> they're giving me permission if they want to share my stuff. So <laughs> um, I, I'm using the Eversense CGM from Sensionics. And uh, right now I have two CGMs on me, um, but three total because I have, I'm sorry, two types of CGMs on me, uh, but three total because I have an Eversense sensor in each arm. And I'm wearing my Dexcom G6 because the Eversense uh, trial could go blind at any time, meaning they're still getting the data, but I'm not able to see it on the yeah. device that me. So I want to be able to see my CGM at all times, so I still wear the G6. Do you feel like um, they're pretty comparable? But, yeah, for me, the Eversense, and I will say that I'm on the second sensor. I was in the six-month clinical trial, um, but they've extended it now for a few of us. And I've gotten another one inserted. So I have uh, one that's been inserted uh, for just over six months and the other one that's just a couple weeks old. Um, and they're getting data off one of them to figure out if we can wear it for a year, which they're already doing that over in Europe. They're mm -hmm. already studying that. But here in the U.S., they're uh, hopefully by the end of this year, if not by the beginning of next year, they'll approve the six-month CGM. And when I say a six-month uh, to a year to right now it's approved for a three-month, it means that the sensor is going to go underneath your skin for uh, three months or six months or a year. Um, right now it's approved, FDA approved for, for three months, so that's what everybody's been doing. Well, and for um, the people that are not as engaged as we are in the diabetes yes. tech, what's going on, um, explain. So I want listeners to understand that this is not like you can do this at home and just slap on like a, a Dexcom G6. This is right, right. I was, I was about to explain. Yeah, that. Um, the difference being obviously there's there's freestyle libre, which is a ten day, fourteen day wear, um, and you don't get the readings every five minutes. You have to monitor yeah. uh, by scanning the the CGM. Then you have Medtronic, which you can only, and this is how I compare them because it's kind of the step up to me. Uh, you have Medtronic, which you can only see on your pump um, unless I think they have a standalone now. They might have launched it. If not, they're going to launch it, but they talked about it. Um, they have a standalone where you can see on your phone, uh, but you don't use a pump. And then there's uh, Dexcom, whether it be G4, G5, or G6. Obviously, they're transitioning everybody over to the G6 the best they can. And I think pretty soon they'll be coming out with G7. They've been talking about it for a while now, but I know they did the clinical trials on it. Yeah. Um, but the Dexcom, you can see every five minutes on the Dexcom app or on the receiver, and you can share it with other people. Yeah. Now, any of them you can share with other people, but, and I am one of those people, you have to hack it. You have to be able to <laughs> know coding and you have to do the backdoor stuff. Just be able to do that because I did that just fine with Night Scout and sharing my Medtronic data. Um, and uh, and I use Xtrip for my Dexcom. I don't use the Dexcom app because it uses a different algorithm. And then there's uh, the Sensionics and there's the future of uh, Eversense and mm -hmm. other CGMs 
that are coming out that are going to be implantable. Now, when I say implantable, I mean the doctor is going to numb you up with lidocaine and he's going to cut into your body and everybody gets freaked out at this point. I say it's non-invasive because to me, it's like, it's not the size of a paper cut. It's not as deep as a paper cut, but it probably hurts as much as a paper cut because I felt the lidocaine needle going in. It was a pinch and then it came out. Well, they give like 50 shots a day. Like the shot part's not the I part, mean, you know? If they go a little bit deeper, but yes. Yeah, right. I, I understand. Uh, but, but the lidocaine numbs you up completely <laughs> that I didn't feel anything. And I mean, they're, they mm. cut into my arm. They insert the sensor underneath. They use the tool. The doctor has to sterilize, sterile environment, all the good stuff. Um, and honestly, I don't know how many it is exactly, but the doctor has to get approved in order to do this. Right. So have to have training. Uh, and Cincyonics has to watch them. A, a representative has to be there, and they're there all the time for our clinical trial because they want the data. I don't know if that's how it normally is, but uh, I know for the training at the beginning it is. But they're there and they watch, and the doctor's cutting in, and they insert the sensor, and then they just put um, take a derm and uh, stickies over it. They don't stitch you back up, so okay. it's not a big cut and it's not deep, and then. What they did this last time for me, uh, whenever I removed the sensor, is they actually got a magnet to move it around in my arm. Oh, that freaks me out. I'm 100, well, I mean, they moved it just a little bit to see if they could, but (laughs) I'm 180 pounds, and I'm pretty muscular in my arms, so I don't have a lot of fat there. So they were able to do it pretty well, and it didn't move the entire six months, but I could feel it moving around just a little bit. But I didn't feel it so much. It didn't. They didn't like make a huge squiggly and go all over my arm. They just moved it maybe a centimeter or two. Um, so they moved it and and then you know left it alone. The doctor uh, numbed it up and could cut you, it out. Could you feel it, it? Like if if I rubbed my? Are you like? I don't know. I, I can feel it every single time. So I do that in order to track because what the sensor is. The sensor is under the skin, but then you have a patch overlay. And you put the transmitter on top of that patch overlay. And the transmitter can sit there. It can be removed every single day. And whenever you get uh, the sensor, they're going to send you 90 days worth of supplies. That way you have the whole three months. They're going to send you 90 patches. And like I said, you only have one sensor on. You don't have the two on. Like This is just for the clinical trial. So you're going to have 90 days worth of patches that you put on. And you can take that off every single day. But the cool part is you use the app. Or, um, well, yeah, the app. Uh, I have it on a device that they give me, but you can put it on your phone and everybody can see it. But you have a placement guide. And so it will tell you if it's low, good, or excellent, as far or not even there, as far as where the transmitter is sitting on top of the uh, sensor. Hmm. Uh, that way you can get the most accurate readings. And so you use that to place it, and it's just really simple. It takes five seconds to do so. Uh, so you want to charge the transmitter though once a day. Um, it's really every 36 hours. And of course the, the battery kind of drains, you know, the longer you have it or the longer you keep it on the charger, but the whole time the sensor, the transmitter is over your sensor. You're getting data. Even if it says no data on your, like it lost data or signal lost or something, then it's still receiving the data and as soon as it finds that signal again, then you'll get it. As soon as you pull that transmitter off your arm, though, then, of course, it's not getting the data anymore. So I want to make so, sure that I understand this correctly, and more for the listeners. The sensor's yeah. inserted into your body. Then you yes. have a transmitter that you slap on every day. It needs to be charged. It takes about 15 minutes for the charge, but, yeah. I mean, okay. the recommended thing is to charge it while you're in the shower because then everybody loves to take whatever naked showers um which i know. laugh every time i'm like and it's so ridiculous i mean yes i'd hope I you're think, naked I when you're getting the same there. thing <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah it's ridiculous well um but, well thank yeah. you for sharing that i think it's interesting so how much longer are will you be on this trial so i just started the the extra six months um so I think they said uh, removal sometime around the end of August, maybe even uh, beginning of September. Um, so I, I couldn't even remember whenever I started the last one, but obviously it's a year where that I'm doing. So, um, so right around then. So it'll be quite a few more months. Um, and we were going in once a month to get scanned, uh, and we sit there for eight hours and get our blood checked and just get the accuracy of the sensor compared to our blood 
blood checks. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, just for this, they want to do it every two months. So I won't even mm-hmm. see them that often. Um, and I, I told them, it's funny because they said, okay, well, we don't have to pay you guys. I'm, you know, I'll take the money, but I don't care about the money. Whenever I go in for this stuff, I care about the technology. I care about the advancement of the technology. Yeah. I care about being able to wear the technology uh, without having to charge my insurance or me because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because everything's so expensive. <laughs> so so it's really nice to be able to do so. And that's why I encourage a lot of people to get into clinical trials. Uh, whether they want to do it with the drugs or with the devices is up to them. But I prefer to do it with devices because I want to say, and it might have even been Maxime, it might have been the other uh, glucagon that came out, but I was supposed to be in the trial for a glucagon. And as soon as I read that they were going to bring us down to 20 to 30, uh, obviously monitor us, us there overnight and stuff, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. So I'm out. And then I thought about it long and hard later on. I was like, what if there were side effects? What if I went low, you know, another time? Or what if something else happened? That's why I just don't participate in the drug studies that much. Well, and that's so. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, and I, I I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I'm working with a group that they're they're looking at you know generic insulin, and I applied for the trial. I was not eligible, but not because of I'm going to say anything diabetes. It's because it was such a oh, controlled study that. Everyone yeah. ate the same things. I mean, they controlled the carb counts and stuff like that. And for somebody like, I have dietary restrictions outside of just doing low carbs, and yeah, and that threw me out of it. But at the end of the day, I really struggled with it, and even talked to my family about it because I feel like, for someone like myself who's lived with it for so long, you know, if if we don't step up, then the young people are never gonna we're never gonna see any really uh, real advancements. Um, that's true. That's true. And I actually thought long and hard, and I even contacted uh, some of my diabetes friends and, and the low carb community, uh, low carb diabetes community. That um, whenever I signed up for this one, I found out that I had to have uh, half of the readings, half of the days, be a hypo challenge, and the other half being a hyper challenge. Hmm. A hypo challenge means that they're going to bring me down below seventy for an hour. Um, and I was comfortable with that. I knew I'd be in a controlled environment and right. we're doing using regular insulin. Uh, well, I say regular insulin, insulin that's available today. Yeah. So I know there's not a problem. I'm using my own insulin to bring me down and they're not going to let me drop below 55. If I do, then they're going to give me glucose tablets, but I'm going to sit at that amount for an hour and I was hungry and it was uncomfortable, but, and I was shaking, but <laughs> at some point I got to come up. Now, the hyper challenge, they wanted me to be above 300. And those days was actually kind of a treat for me because I like to go to Dunkin' and get coffee. Well, I got a regular coffee or I got the holiday eggnog variety. Um, and I even wanted to – of course, my computer has to make more. Uh, I even wanted to um, go a little bit extra and make sure that I was up there. So I picked up an apple fritter one time and – Needless to say, they were very mad because I went over 400 that day. (laughs) (laughs) They said, no, we can't have that. So the challenge actually stops whenever you get to 400 and above. (laughs) Um, And that happened a couple times with with a few of us. But so they wanted you over 300. And I think that was an hour and 15 minutes, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I still have to do those challenges because I continued on the study. But it was for eight hours a day. And as I talked to everybody, I said, what is this going to do for damage to my body overall? What is this going to do to my A1C? And uh, in the long run, it did absolutely nothing. Now, as far as damage overall, I don't know because obviously that could be 30 to 50 years down the road. But we're talking uh, 65 minutes, 75 minutes in an eight-hour span for four times out of the year rather than doing it all the time. Right. Uh, you start so, crunching the numbers. So, yeah. So it didn't, it didn't, uh, and everybody was like, man, just for the technology and for the money and for, you know, just being in the advancement, I think that's pretty cool. And I'd take the risk. Um, some people were kind of skeptical, but every once in a while I do update that group and let them know, Hey, this is what happened. But it's kind of cool because my graphs are pretty flat. And then all of a sudden you see that huge spike and then it comes <laughs> down again and remains flat. I mean, it's like a blip on a, uh, uh, EKG. Okay, let me so, ask. Does your does your wife do? Does she have access to your numbers? 
she has access to my numbers, um, and, and so does one of my other diabetic friends. Uh, they just don't get the alerts because I don't go <laughs> don't go low enough, um, and uh, and don't go high. So they can they can see him, yes, but uh, only on the Dexcom uh, right. because the study doesn't doesn't allow Hello, me to yeah. see or, or transmit to anybody. So uh, EverSense is only on the device that they gave me. But uh, but yes, they can they can see him. Um, but throughout this whole time she has not been concerned like everybody else. It's kind of funny because I told my family originally, I was like, you know, I feel like y'all don't care that much. And it's not so much that they don't care after, after talks with everybody. It's not so much that they didn't care. It's that they realized that I had this under control right, right. And, and they didn't need to worry about me. Um, and, and it was like kind of reassuring, but at the same time, I watch all these helicopter moms and I watch, I watch these other people complain on social media, um, and worry about their spouses. I mean, their spouse isn't in the group, but they're in the group because they're worried about (laughs) their spouse. Um, and so it's just, it's just nice to see that, uh, side of it that, that, uh, you know, I've I've taken care of myself enough to where (laughs) I don't have to rely on other people. Um, doesn't mean that I won't have to rely on other people at some point in time. But, you know, even whenever I'm going low, like she's like, I mean, do you need anything? There's been there's been two times where I know that I've had to call her and say, hey, I, I need to talk to you and just make sure that I'm alive right now. You know, <laughs> even if I've got to pull over on the shoulder of the road um, or, or talk to her in the middle of the grocery store or something. But that's the worst place to go low, too, because I don't oh, know yeah. how much money I spend. But <laughs> the grocery store, she hates when I go grocery shopping anyway by myself. <laughs> Let me say that I have been through a grocery store before. And, of course, you're starting to eat stuff and whatever. And somebody will look at me and I'm like, dude, I'm sweating through my clothes right now. You want me to eat this so I don't pass out. So shut up. Yeah. When you stand at the Costco sample table and just start eating the whole table, that's when. Don't mind me. No, you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I unfortunately, I've got to wrap this up. But um, is there anything else you want to share? I mean, you're very active in social media, and we'll include all of your stuff in the show notes. Um, And I know you just put out a. I think it was the positive challenge. You know, (laughs) so at this time, at 2.34 on Saturday, March 21st, I have had nobody participate, and it's kind of... Okay, let me say this. This It's funny funny because I tagged a bunch of people, and I I meant for it to go around as a challenge uh, for people to post positivity because it's a depressing time, and I get it. I do. I see all kinds of sides of it, especially as a first responder and seeing everybody freaking out over this. Um, But it's a little bit different. Somebody said at the station yesterday, it's weird for us because we're seeing a totally different side of it because... We're not isolated and we're not quarantined. I mean, yeah. we're still going out. We're still working. But we also see all the freak out about it. Yeah. And there's overreacting and there's underreacting. Yeah. And we see all sides of that too. But I just want to post positivity, no matter if it's about diabetes or life in general. Um, let's just stop so much talking about the negativity of coronavirus and see. And I'm going to do a post on it later on, but I see a huge increase in teacher salaries after all this yeah. is done. Because people are going to realize just how much they do, and they're only taking care of their one or two to four children at home rather than a classroom of 27. Yeah. So I, I see a very positive aspect of this in so many ways. Um, I hope that everybody's safe, but uh, I do worry. I worry about my family. I worry about everybody else, and I worry about the diabetes community. I worry about anybody else that is suffering uh, in an immunocompromised state. And I don't want to say confirmed that it's mutated, but there's starting to be talks in the medical community that it could have mutated. Because right now, the I'm not going to say the median age, but it's starting to affect people 44 and under as far as deaths. Uh, it was known that it was like 60 to 80 yeah. or 80 and above, whatever. But uh, but it's starting to affect other people. And that's why I have a huge problem with, <laughs> with the spring breakers in Florida and the Texas beaches and everybody else that's not social distancing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I know this podcast is eventually going to be listened to after coronavirus is over and we'll all look back. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but as far as the seriousness of this, this is pretty serious. Um, I saw a graph somebody had. Well, several graphs, but I've seen a certain picture that is displayed like different um, mothballs or I don't know what the heck they are, but it shows big 
displays of the diseases and the most oh, is yeah. the bubonic plague. 200 to 300 million and somewhere in there is age with 25 to 35 million and still affected so many. We're way down there right now with coronavirus at 11,400. Well, I don't have the, and that's just the U S I don't have the exact number. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's deaths, not the U S I don't have the exact number right now, but I think we're about to hit 12,000 this morning on deaths. So the next number up is, um, a hundred thousand and it took us, um, what, three months to hit the first 10,000 cases, and it took 12 days to hit the next 100,000 cases. Okay, let me change it just a, a little yeah. bit in that one of the, because I, of course, am reading the graphs as well, and the Spanish flu, which was an ep- which began in 1918, has killed yeah, 40, years ago. <laughs> yeah, 40 to 50 million people, and I wrote, I launched a post today about the fact that I survived the Spanish flu in another country with type 1 diabetes. And so I'm not saying that as I didn't write it as a, hey, here's a glimpse of hope. But I wasn't, I didn't even realize that it was such a big deal until reading these charts. And so, um, and so there's just a lot there and I hope you actually read it. Um, but I also want to throw yeah, out yeah. as we end is that I took your positive challenge seriously and I'm well on my way in that releasing more podcasts through this time to where we just want to be surrounded by our people, but we can't be. So connecting on social media, releasing more podcasts, staying engaged. And for me, I'm trying to turn down, not off, all of that negativity and all the things. We need to stay informed, but if we do what's asked of us, I just, I choose to believe every, I'm going to be okay. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny that you say that because talking about positivity, I haven't actually put it out there. I'm actually going to go live after this on Instagram, but um, I, I'm also going to challenge the other influencers, but we can't do meetups right now. And yeah. saying as you, you said, we can't get together. Um, I want to do virtual meetups. Yes. And I want to figure out a way for us to talk. The problem is things like, excuse me, Facebook Live and Instagram Live are you can't so much communicate as you can just read read the comments. I, I have the hiccups. I don't know why. Um, but but you, uh, you can do things like Zoom. You can do other things. But there has to be some kind of platform. Hopefully, I can figure it out. Or, well, when you figure it out, place. let me know because everybody's doing these, um, like, I mean, I'm doing tons of Skype and Zoom audio, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, there's... How can you get hundreds of people on there? That's the right. question. And you know? how you can uh, still be, Yeah. Like I, I see people, uh, I see Garth Brooks and other artists, whatever they're doing, virtual concerts. Uh, and you can post comments on there, but same thing. I mean, you can't can't get the people. I think it'd be really cool if you know we could do some one on one coaching or anything like that. But there's so many people right now that have the capabilities and the time that we can try to figure out something just to bring the community together because at some point and I, I knock on wood but I know it's coming at some point we are going to hear some bad cases yeah and it's unfortunate but we need to look at the positive and we all need to come together no matter what I don't care about politics I don't care about any of that right now and I, I voice this to people whenever they talk about the financial crisis and everything else I said would you rather be poor or dead honestly it's it's kind of how it is and i get that it all sucks right now but no matter what we have to worry about our health number one and just being positive is going to help out with that because we cannot stress out as diabetics Um, and you asked what i want to leave with i i say this quote uh, and i say a quote i mean i kind of came up with it i don't remember if i ever read it anywhere but (laughs) i always want to tell people that there is no such thing as a perfect diabetic we all just do the best we can every single day we see flatline graphs we see perfection we see all this uh i didn't even say it on there uh at all yet but i have maintained a sub 5 a1c for well over three years now and i do that through hard work every single day so we just do the best we can every single day so just don't beat yourself up yeah don't follow um you know i've seen the post where it's like instagram versus reality don't follow everything that everybody says do what works for you um and and figure it out for yourself do some research and see what you can do well, Kyle, thank you so much um, for taking time and maybe someday 
this year we'll be able to sit across from each other. But if not, once we get these virtual meetups put together, um, just know that I'm here to help in any way and help market it because I, I really like I like the thought of it. So stay yeah, safe well, I appreciate and it. Thank uh, you very much. stay in contact, please. Yeah, you too. Have All right. One. Have a good one. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this no-nonsense interview with Kyle. He did a fabulous job sharing his tips and tricks when it comes to diet, fitness, and T1D devices. Please note, (laughs) neither of us are providing medical advice, just sharing our real life living with type 1 diabetes. Take it for what it is. (laughs) Before I wrap up, I have a few last-minute things I'd like to share. Number one, Do yourself a favor and snag the new superfood pizza crust made by Real Good Foods. They are delicious and will fill your belly with healthy veggies and vitamins, which is exactly what we all need right now. Number two, don't forget to check out the Real Life Diabetes mini podcast series dedicated to offering a one-stop shop of brands, organizations, and services who share my mission to provide real support and resources for all people living with diabetes. And finally, Please continue to leave iTunes reviews and love, like, and share on all things social media. Right now is an ideal time to connect. Um, So I just, I really hope that if it's not through the podcast or whatever, that you're finding your Facebook groups, your Instagram groups, because we all need um, somebody living with diabetes to lean on right now. If you want to contact me directly anytime, I can be reached at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com on any social media platform. And it really makes my heart happy to hear from you and, and fuels the, you know, my tank to keep the episodes coming because I'm really trying to put out more, um, more episodes. So thank you as always for listening. Um, I guess that's a wrap. I hope everyone stays safe. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.
got more lances than you. You said, I got more lances than you. Die.